My name is Andrew Tate, and this is Season 1, Episode 17 of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. Before we get started today, I'd like to make an announcement. I will be doing the first ever live performance of an episode of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast at this year's Sacramento Podcast Festival in Sacramento, California. You can get tickets for the single show for $5. You can get a single full day pass for $10 or a three day pass to all three days, uh, which will be May 31st through June 2nd for $25. I'll be performing on the last day, June 2nd, Sunday at 2 p.m. I'll be reading some news stories as well as some of my favorites from the Patreon-only bonus stories from last year that only a handful of listeners have been able to hear. June 2nd also happens to be my wife's birthday, so while I will be there all three days of SAC Podfest hanging out, on the day of, shortly after the performance, I will have to take off, but I will be able to hang out just a little while to meet everybody that made the trip, um, and those of you from Sacramento that I haven't met yet. However, there are a lot of shows on the lineup, so I think you will have a great time at this year's SAC Podfest. Uh, it's a smaller, more intimate venue. Um, so it's going to be a very interesting and fun experience for everyone. I look forward to seeing you all there. For reference, I'm from Australia, female, and at the time, I was about 15 or so. This story starts with me as a teenager, living at home with my mom, stepdad Richard, and four siblings. Back in those days, and having three brothers, I was a pretty hardcore gamer. My mom was a pretty heavy sleeper since she was working full-time and caring for my stepdad, who had stage 4 testicular cancer, so I spent most of my nights staying up and gaming. One particular night, at about 2am, I could hear someone walking around in the backyard. You know that crunching of grass, the slight shuffling of boots on concrete? The fact that the family dog Sammy wasn't barking led me to believe that it was just my stepdad. My dad often walked around the backyard at night to help with his restless leg syndrome that was caused by the chemo. The restless leg would keep my mom awake, so he tried to walk it off so she could get some much-needed rest. So as far as I was concerned, nothing was out of the ordinary, and I continued gaming. Quite a bit later, I heard some noises in the kitchen. But I again assumed it was just my stepdad taking painkillers or making a sandwich, which was pretty normal so I naturally ignored it and continued gaming. Eventually, I went to bed, and when I got up in the morning, my mom was on the phone, looking very shaken, and she motioned for me to sit down at the table. I was a bit groggy and out of it, but I started to feel a bit panicked. My mom was meant to be at work. She rarely had days off, even when she was sick, because she had five kids and one very sick husband to take care of. Finally, she gets off the phone and sits down. My mom tells me that during the night, someone was in her room. She said that she thought it was my stepdad at first, and the conversation went like this. What are you doing? Nothing. Go back to sleep. Richard? 
Is that you? Yes. Go back to sleep. She was pretty out of it. She was half asleep. But she remembered that something about the whole exchange just didn't quite feel right. She said that it didn't sound like my stepdad speaking and that she'd woken up because she heard something drop on the ground. She didn't think too much about it at the time because of how tired she was, so she rolled over and went back to sleep. In the morning when she got up, she saw that her jewelry box was on the ground and a few pieces of jewelry were missing, including priceless family heirlooms that were willed to her by her late grandmother. She went to the kitchen and saw that her phone and my stepdad's phone were missing, so she used the landline, which people still had back then, and called the police, and later we learned the rest of the story. Our backyard faces a communal nature walkthrough type thing. A man climbed our fence. There's a gate, but we always keep it padlocked. And then they walked around the house checking all of the doors to get inside, which is why I could hear all that shuffling and scuffling outside. We later learned that my younger sister had snuck the family dog into her bed that night, which is why Sammy didn't bark at the intruder. My mom's bedroom has a sliding door into the backyard, but she never locked it because she didn't see the point. The man had gotten in through that door and must have noticed the jewelry box, but it was obviously very dark, and he dropped it when he went to pick it up, thus waking my mom once they had their little conversation, my mom had gone back to sleep, but he went into the kitchen and started looking for anything of value. He found the phones, pocketed them, and promptly left through the laundry door and over the fence. My stepdad had actually chosen that night of all nights to take a late night stroll through the neighborhood to clear his head and help with the restless leg. He'd gotten back after everything had happened and was none the wiser, until the morning. The police told us that we weren't the only people whose house was invaded that night. Apparently four other houses had been hit, and that there was a huge priority on finding the perpetrator. And funnily enough, my mom's and stepdad's phones were both found in someone else's house. So they thankfully got their phones back a few days later. A few weeks after this whole ordeal, we learned that the intruder had been found. Sadly, he sold my family's heirlooms for drug money. The dude was just a scummy meth head, and he had a gun in his possession, and it was just luck that no one was harmed with it. He was eventually sent to prison. On behalf of my mom, scummy meth head, let's never meet again. This is a story about the time I went to a bar with one of my friends. I had just turned 21, so I hadn't been to too many bars up to that point. My friend was drinking on the way to the bar, so he was already pretty drunk when we got there. When I sat at the bar, a cute girl came and talked to me and my friend. She said her name was Candace, and I noticed that she had really bright red hair. I assumed that she dyed it. 
It was pretty, but unnatural. Anyways, this girl was flirting with me and my friend. She could tell my friend was already very drunk. To be honest, I played along like I was already drunk, since it seemed to be working for my friend. I didn't know if she was trying to get free drinks, so I told her we didn't have much money. She offered to buy us drinks. She kept buying us drinks. I started to get confused as to who she liked between me and my friend. My friend went to the bathroom. Well, before he came back, he was kicked out by the bouncers. He was too drunk. Candace and I went outside with him. She kept telling him to go home with her. He was so out of it he could barely answer her. I told her he was too drunk and that I couldn't let him go anywhere. I didn't want him to wake up hungover in some random house with no car and no idea what had happened. Candace kept pushing it, saying that she would take care of him, but I told her no because I had to stay with him. I was more sober than him, and he was my responsibility. I told her the only way he was going anywhere was if I tagged along. I assumed she thought that I was jealous or cock-blocking, as they say, but my friend could barely stand and lost interest in Candace already at that point. She immediately started flirting with me and offered to get my friend a taxi to drive him home and said we could go to her place alone. At this point, I had had a few drinks and I was pretty buzzed, so I agreed. We took my friend to the taxi and walked over to her car. I slightly stumbled on the way to her car. Wow, you're pretty drunk, huh? She said, smiling, as she held onto my arm. Yeah, I said. I don't know why, but I just felt slightly shy and anxious. Everything was just happening too easy for me. It, it felt uneasy. We got in her car, and we drove down the street. I want to stop at the liquor store and get some more to drink. I'll buy it, so don't worry about paying, she offered. I didn't want to drink anymore, and I already did. I was already buzzed and wanted to be able to carry myself throughout the rest of the night. Sometimes I made myself look stupid when I'm drunk, uh, so I didn't want to ruin anything with Candace more than I already did earlier with telling her that my friend was too drunk. I told her I was already drunk enough, but she insisted. I didn't want to seem lame, so I told her, to get me a pint of liquor with some apple juice just to chase it. She went to the store and came out with a lot more than just a pint. I assumed she wanted to drink more also, and that's why she got a fifth instead of a pint. On the car ride, we passed a bottle back and forth, and she took tiny sips. I tried to take tiny sips, but she kept passing the bottle back and telling me to drink. I somehow managed to drink all of my apple juice and pretend to drink the bottle by spitting the liquor into the apple juice bottle. I tossed the apple juice full of liquor out the window before she saw it. I didn't want her to know that I was acting drunker than I was. She actually believed I was sloppy drunk when I was simply buzzed. I took a couple more sips of liquor and finished the bottle. Throughout the car ride, I called her the wrong name a couple of times to get a reaction out of her. 
she didn't react to it. She just kept letting me call her Carla without correcting me. For some reason, I thought she lied to me about her name initially. We drove up to her house and I pretended to trip and stumble into her front door. She helped me walk inside by holding me up. She opened up her front door, which was unlocked. We walked into her house and she closed the front door and locked it. I thought that was strange, but assumed that she didn't want anyone walking in on us. So I told her that I had to use the bathroom. I walked into her bathroom, locked the door, and looked in the mirror. I just felt strange. I felt like something was off. I felt myself becoming more drunk from finishing the bottle earlier. I turned on the sink to make noise and made myself puke up the liquor that I drank. I flushed and went to the sink and started to drink tap water out of my hands to sober up. I didn't want to be drunk. I turned the sink off and I could hear her talking to someone. He's drunk as hell. He can barely stand up. You do it. Who is she talking to? And do what? I walked out of the bathroom into the living room. The moment I stepped into the living room, I saw her walking into another room. All I could see was the back of her head. That very strange, bright red hair going into another room. I didn't see her face or anything. I just saw her kind of walk fast into the other room. The living room was pretty dark. Hey, where are you going? But I slurred like I was drunk. She walked back into the dark living room and up to me and said, Let's go to my room. I looked at her bright red hair and then into her eyes. They were different. Her face was different. She was another girl with the same hair. That's when I realized that it was another girl with the same wig on. It was a wig the whole time. She had changed it with a girl from earlier for whatever reason. My heart felt like it stopped, but I tried to look like I had no idea that it was a different girl. I kind of smiled at her and told her I just needed to use the bathroom one more time and told her I was sorry I was so drunk. She said, it's fine, just hurry up in there. I went into the bathroom and locked the door. I heard her whisper something to someone again. This time, I heard a male voice whisper back to her. I honestly didn't concentrate on listening to exactly what she said. Something sketchy was going on, and I had to get out of that house. I opened the bathroom window and jumped straight out of it and ran faster than I ever ran in my life. I didn't look behind myself or anything. I just ran through the backyard, jumped the fence, and ran through someone else's backyard, hit the road, and ran towards the main road. I kept running down the main road until I saw a star CVS and ran into the CVS and stood straight in front of the door, in front of the camera. I called a taxi and went home. I try to think, what happened that night? Why did she tell me a fake name? Why was she trying to get my friend and I so drunk? I thought maybe a robbery, but she kept spending money on us. She kept buying us drinks and even paid for my friend's taxi cab. And mostly, why did she wear that wig that she gave to another girl to wear? Who was she talking to? What did it mean? And what was in that room they tried to lure me into? 
The next day after the incident, I went back to the house with a couple of friends just to see what was going on. Nobody was there. No cars, no people. Nothing. Just an empty house. I ended up finding out that the house was a summer rental and whoever those people were, they broke into that house and used it for one night and never came back. This took place back around 2008, if my memory serves me right. Me and my family had just moved to Costa Rica, and we enjoyed spending most of our time at the beach. One beach in particular, which was near a lovely little river I like to swim in. It was on this same beach that nine-year-old girl, me, found a dead body floating in the ocean. To give a little context, I had been playing on the beach. We thought it was a relatively safe beach, so my parents were further up. How wrong they were about it being safe. I remember seeing something floating in the water, but I wasn't sure what it was, so I went to investigate and found a dead man just floating there. Part of his leg had been hacked off. It was obvious he had not drowned. The man was clearly murdered. Around this time, we had heard about a recent string of murders that had happened, both on the Caribbean side of Costa Rica, where we were, and on the Pacific side. The murders had been happening every six months, rotating in between both regions of the country. So there was reason to assume this murder had been done by the same person, since it seemed to fit the timeline. As far as I can remember, the details of the murder were never disclosed in any of the local newspapers only that the man had been a tourist from England. So there was no way for anyone who had not seen the man on the beach to know the specifics of his murder. Eventually, the whole thing blew over, and we returned to the same beach. I can't quite remember a time frame, but it was definitely within a few months of me finding the dead man that the next part happened. One day, I was swimming in the river with my mother, when a very strange man popped out of the water, startling us. He had a spear gun in his hand and a snorkel mask on. Anyways, he began talking to my mom and I. I, I think we could both tell that something was just off about this guy. I wasn't really paying attention to most of their conversation, but I do remember him bringing up the recent murder on the beach, and he seemed to know a great amount of details about it which, as I previously mentioned, were not available to the public. It almost seemed as if he was trying to confess that he was the one who murdered the man, but without directly saying so. He also talked about how he traveled between the Caribbean and the Pacific side of Costa Rica, spending half a year in each spot. Eventually, they got onto the topic of what he did for a living. He spent a great deal talking about how he made the masks for the movie Eyes Wide Shut, and that he would make those masks, and I presume other ones based on real-life human emotions, and that he specifically liked capturing the look of fear. 
we were totally taken aback by this guy and didn't really know what to do. Eventually, he just got back into the water and swam away, and thankfully we never saw him again. I do not know if this is related or not, but the weird strain of murders suddenly stopped after that. When I was in elementary school, I was friends with a girl named Jessica. We had a group of five or six girls that we always played with. Jessica's parents were divorced, and I often went over to her dad's house after school because they had a trampoline and a slide. Her dad was a totally normal dude. His name was Richard, and he held a job as a pilot, which is definitely a job that requires mental stability. Jessica came over to my house as well, and her dad would always come to pick her up after the play date, so he was familiar with where I lived. In, I think, second or third grade, Jessica moved away to live with her mom. I didn't fully understand what was going on as a child, and I still don't know what happened, but something had gone wrong with her father. We didn't hear much from Jessica, but around her birthday the following year, Richard invited our group of girls over for a surprise birthday party. We arrived at the party, and we were waiting for Jessica so we could surprise her. But Jessica never showed up. We were just hanging out with her dad for a while. As a child, this didn't seem weird, as it does to me now. When our parents picked us up, we obviously told them what had happened. And we didn't hang out with Jessica or Richard again. After that, some of the girls started receiving presents from Richard at their homes. I never received them, but my mother told me about it years later. The presents usually consisted of cheap jewelry and notes. I have no idea what the notes said, but I'm not sure I actually even want to know. After this, Richard goes away. My mom told me later that he was in a mental institution. Well, years go by. I completely forgot about the whole situation. Then, in winter of 2013, I was out of town for a cheer competition. I was scrolling through Facebook one night when all of a sudden a new group chat popped up with five girls from my elementary school. I had not kept in touch with any of them, so this was weird. The chat was about how they had received messages from Richard on Facebook. I checked the other folder of my Facebook messages, and sure enough, I had some too. I had a variety of messages that did not make a lot of sense, including some strange poems. Many of the messages were descriptions of dreams he had about me. Though some of them were nonsense, others were understandable enough to come across as sexually or violently threatening. I don't feel comfortable sharing some of the more explicit messages, but here are a couple of the shorter Less scary messages. Hi, little girl, from not long ago. Pristine of pristineness, I want you. I want you. We're going to have 
planets to go to someday, provided you don't melt them first. I'm so proud of you. Stay happy. And I haven't found a way to keep you all off my mind. I can't see the planets till I make you all mine. You're just so rough and oh so fine. As if I'm there, my love's for you. For you I share. It's so indefinite. For it's all about you that I only care. Oh my goodness, you're all my whipping cream containers. I clicked on Richard's Facebook profile, and his whole profile was dedicated to us five girls. He didn't have any friends added, so clearly nobody had seen it. Unfortunately, we didn't have very good security settings on Facebook. He had saved dozens of photos of us and then reposted them with nonsensical and inappropriate captions. The captions ranged from essays about his love for us to one-sentence captions that said, She is so ugly. We were all freshly 18 at the time and didn't know what to do, so our mothers contacted the RCMP and they told us not to block Richard on Facebook, but not to reply as the messages could be used as evidence. He continued to send us messages every single day, and we shared those screenshots with each other in the group chat and sent them off to the RCMP. He had several different Facebook accounts that were all variations of his name, along with one randomly named Esteban. One of the girls got in touch with Jessica to find out if she still had contact with her father. She only saw him on supervised visits every once in a while. She was very embarrassed and apologized a lot. She was a super sweet girl, and obviously none of us were upset at her in any way. Eventually, Richard was charged with five counts of criminal harassment. He pled guilty and went to jail for around five months. When he got out, there was still a no-contact order in place, meaning that he could not contact any of us girls or come within a certain radius of our homes. He was not allowed to use the internet either. I'm not sure how all of this works, but this is what the constable handling the case told me. However, not surprisingly, he started contacting us on Facebook again. He went back to jail for breaching his probation. In the summer of 2015, he got out again. I started receiving more messages. I immediately wrote on the group chat to see if other girls had gotten anything. They hadn't. It was just me. I immediately contacted the police. It seems they had forgotten to include my name on the no-contact order. He knew not to contact the other girls but thought it was still safe for him to contact me. This time things got worse. I had just started working at a new job, and being the idiot that I am, I had the workplace public on Facebook. One day, I came into work, and there was a package waiting for me. I was obviously confused because I would never order something to be delivered to my work. I opened it up with my managers, and there was weed inside, along with a disk with encryption software on it. He had mailed me weed to my work. I knew immediately that this was him, and awkwardly explained the situation to my managers who thought that it was hilarious. The security in my office tower was alerted and given a photo of him. They began walking me to my bus stop after all my shifts. It was scary, knowing that he knew where I worked, 
At this point, I hadn't seen Richard in years, but it was clear that he was mentally unwell. I had absolutely no idea what he was capable of or what his motives were. The RCMP did not seem to take this case very seriously, and they moved very slowly, passing the case around to various officers. Meanwhile, I was terrified. I could hardly walk down my street at night without freaking out. Every time somebody knocked on the door while I was home alone, I would drop whatever I was doing and hide under the kitchen counters. I had not moved since I was a child, so it was very possible that he remembered where I lived. The packages kept coming. I received more weed in several different forms, including cookies, what appeared to be cocaine, and a key to his apartment along with some miscellaneous items. I opened all of the packages at the police station. One of the packages included a USB stick with a bunch of audio recordings on them, but I decided it was better for me not to listen to them. The return address on the packages was a random P.O. box in another city that did not belong to Richard, and no fingerprints were found on the packages. During all of this, the Facebook messages remained constant. Luckily, in one of the messages, he informed me that he had sent me drugs and a key to his home address. This confirmed the packages were from him. He was charged again. I received a subpoena in the mail to appear as a witness in court. However, once again, he pled guilty and I never got to go to court. I was actually a bit disappointed, as I thought seeing him in person would provide me with some kind of closure. He's still locked up somewhere as I'm writing this, but I still get scared walking at night or when somebody knocks on the door. The police provided me zero information on where he was being held or when he would be released. I feel like I'm just waiting for the day that he will contact me again. It seems as if every time I think it's over, it isn't. If I do hear from him again, I'll be sure to post an update. This situation could have been a lot worse. As far as I know, he did not physically follow me around or anything. I strongly encourage you all to make sure your Facebook privacy settings are as private as possible. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. This week you have heard, Guy breaks into my house while we all slept and pretends to be my stepdad by Fixed at Zero. What she was planning to do to me by Kenny C5576. I found a dead guy on the beach and possibly met his murderer by AK Angelic. And finally, a retelling of my childhood friend's father by Rob666Boss. Don't forget to check out the live show on June 2nd at the Stab Comedy Theater in Sacramento, California at 2 p.m. You can check it out at sackpodfest.com. Also, a quick happy birthday to Ugly Sloth on Twitter. One of the Twitter followers, if you'd like to follow me over at Twitter, it's at Let's Not Meet Cast. I'll see you guys next week for a brand new episode of Let's Not Meet. Let's Not Meet.